0: All right, McLean Bible Church, good morning. How you doing? It's good. Good to be here with you guys this morning. If you got a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to uh, Mark chapter 7. If you got a Bible, go ahead and head over to Mark chapter 7. Today we uh, celebrate in the Christian calendar uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, So in the scriptures it says that Jesus had his face set towards Jerusalem. And Palm Sunday is when we celebrate the fact that Jesus made it there. And upon him entering the city, he was celebrated. But by the end of the week, he was crucified. He was dead. And he died for what? He died for us. He died for our sins. We can celebrate that. And so I'm excited about today, and I'm excited about this passage. So Mark 7, verses 24 through 30, that's where we will be today. And if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, uh, we actually have one for you. And so we have some copies of the Bible in the lobby. That's our gift to you. Um, And don't hesitate to use the table of contents to find um, Mark chapter 7. And so before we uh, jump into the test, uh, really quickly, you can take that off the screen for a second. I'm not gonna get there for a little bit. Um, But um, before we get into the test today, I do wanna recognize uh, new members uh, of our church. And so um, in our last congregational meeting, we voted in new members. And so I wanna take a moment to acknowledge you But I also want to take a moment to acknowledge the new members who were also voted in in our December congregational meeting. So both of those times, we didn't have opportunities to recognize new members of the church. And so if you were interviewed by a pastor and you were approved and you were voted on to become a new member, can you do me a favor and can you please stand so we can celebrate you and clap and yeah. All right. Amen. I love it. All right, guys, you go ahead and have a seat. I mean, I love our church membership because I've, I truly believe that every single follower of Jesus Christ should be a member of a Bible-believing church. And so what being a member of a church means is simply this. It's you officially becoming a part of a church body. It's you officially saying that, hey, I'm taking responsibility for the discipleship and growth of the believers around me. And this is pastors coming to you and simply saying, I'm taking responsibility for you as well, all for the glory of God. And so I'm looking forward uh, to see how we grow together um, as a church body. And so uh, let's do this. Uh, I'm going to simply read the passage, Mark 7. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive into the sermon. And so Mark 7, we're going to start at verse 24, and we're going to head on down to verse 30. Here it is. It says, And from there he arose, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house that did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dolls under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's take a moment to pray. Um, Father, we as your people, we sit beneath um, your word today. And, Father, we know that when your word is spoken, you will come and meet with us. And so, God, I pray that you'll take away all the distractions. There's so many things that we're worried about outside of the service. There's so many things that are going on in our personal lives. There's so many distractions that are quickly accessible in our mobile devices. God, I pray that we will sit here with rapt attention, ready to hear your word, and ready ready to respond to it in faith and obedience. We need you To understand and apply your word, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we rely on you. We trust you. And we love you. Uh, I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. 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 All right, guys. And so uh, there's a classic uh, story that uh, kids everywhere read. I've actually read it uh, to my uh, kids before. We read it because uh, it's my wife's uh, favorite uh, children's story. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it is called The Little Red Hen. Have you guys heard the story? If you don't know, if kindergarten is too far back, let me give you a quick synopsis. I'm gonna give you the Arlington version. And so little red hen decides one day that she wants to make some bread, right? And she doesn't want to get the bread the regular way. Like, if I want bread, I go to the store, I get the little Nature's Harvest bread, wheat bread, that's what I go do. But no, she's from Arlington. And so with the little red hen, she says, listen, I want bread, so I'm going to make it myself. I'm going to harvest the bread, I'm going to bake the bread, I'm going to cook the bread. It's all organic for her. This is Arlington, Right. <laughs> So she does all of this, and then she enlists her friends, but guess what, her friends are from Arlington too, because when she asks her friends, "Will you help me make the bread, what are they? They're busy. They're busy, they can't hang out with her. None of them can help. And so listen, she does it all herself. And when she's done with the bread, I'm telling you that the adult version of this story, she gets really passive aggressive, right? <laughs> And so she goes back to her friends that didn't help, and, 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 she, said, and she invites them over to her way-too-expensive 700-square-foot apartment. <laughs> and she says, hey, listen, I've made this bread. Do you want some of this bread? But she's really passive-aggressive because she knows her friends would say yes. Right? She understands. She gets it. Restaurants get gets this. Nobody can turn down hot buttery bread like that's why they feed you the bread before they give you the real stuff at restaurants right nobody can turn it down so she knows her friends are going to say yes so she says will you eat this bread her friends say yes and she gets real petty as soon as they say yes she says sorry I did all the work myself so I'm gonna eat it myself this is what she says and that's the end of the story (laughs) and listen here's the thing I get the principle of the story. I get it, that hard, hard work pays off. I get that because the little red hen did all the, red, all the hard work, she gets to choose who she would like to distribute her bread to. I get it. I don't have to like it. But here's the thing. I share this story today to share this with you. That little children's story made me think of this passage in Mark chapter 7 because in Mark chapter 7, hang with me, Jesus is actually doing something similar. He is choosing who he would like to distribute his bread to. Hang with me today, because in this text, we see a short conversation about bread and a miracle. And I want you to stay with me, because there is incredible beauty in understanding, or when you understand what this parable, what this miracle, what this story about bread, what does it say about Jesus' relationship with you? It's incredible encouragement in this. So I need to walk through the text first to set this up, um, but we'll get there. So trust me. So let's walk through the text. I want you to check out verse 24. Verse 24, it says this. It says, And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house that did not want to know, want anyone to know, and yet he could not be hidden. Let me give you some background. So, so far in the book, uh, in in the gospel of Mark, it seems like Jesus and his disciples are always on the move. They can't catch a break. Every single time they actually try to get away to catch a break, they are constantly getting interrupted. Go back to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, Jesus enlists his disciples. I know you remember a couple of weeks ago um, when he sends his disciples on a mini mission trip. They go off, and, and, and Jesus empowers them. They goes off, go off and heal, and they preach the kingdom of God. And Jesus, and when they come back, Jesus says, hey, let's get away for a little while. But as you can see over these next um, two chapters, they constantly get um, interrupted. They're getting interrupted all the time. They get interrupted by the crowds. They get interrupted even by the weather. They get interrupted by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And finally, they get the opportunity in this text to get away. They leave the region of Galilee altogether, and they head to a non-Jewish city called Tyre. And they're trying to get away, and they're trying to catch a breather, and Jesus is finally getting some uninterrupted time with his disciples in order to teach them, and they're trying not to be seen. I imagine this is what celebrities do when they're trying to to, to go somewhere. They're they're hiding their faces. They're trying to enter uninterrupted, or unseen into uh, into a house. And I can almost imagine the scene because I've been there. They finally get comfortable. They finally kick their shoes off. They're finally able to rest. They excel a little bit. And as soon as they get comfortable, there's an interruption. As for instance, all the time when I get home from work. As soon as you get comfortable, there's an interruption. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, it says, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. Uh, I love this. This woman barges in on Jesus and his disciples, and those two verses tell us every single thing that we need to know about this woman. These verses show us that this woman is not just some random, neutral person that barges into, uh, into this rest time with, with Jesus and his disciples. It's kind of like this. Forgive me for this. It's kind of like Will Smith barging in on a Rock family reunion. <laughs> I had to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the reason I said that is because there are so many things about this woman that is a that make that would make these Jews uncomfortable. Let me explain. Because she's the exact opposite of Jesus in every single way. She's the exact opposite in gender. She's a different gender. She's of a different race. She is born in in, in Syrian Phoenicia, which is modern-day Lebanon, and Jesus is an ethnic Jew. She's of a different culture. Jesus is an Israelite, and she's a Greek. There are political differences. This is not simply um, an issue of right and left. She's from Tyre, and Jesus is from Galilee. They are national and political enemies. Matter of fact, I'll prove it to you, Josephus. A first century Jewish historian wrote that people from Tyre were notoriously our bitterest enemies. In fact, the Old Testament, Tyre is constantly listed as one of Israel's oppressors. So this woman walks into this room, and she already knows this. She already knows that she's different than everyone in this room, and she's probably assuming that Jesus hates her. She's probably assuming this because she already knew that she had no credentials to approach a holy Jewish rabbi. She knew that she was on the wrong side of every single barrier that she could come up with, and yet she comes anyway. She goes into the house and she just begins to beg Jesus. Matter of fact, in the text, the word beg um, is a word that denotes the fact that she kept on begging. She didn't stop. A matter of fact, in the parallel text to this passage in the book of Matthew, the text describes that she's begging, she's begging, she's begging, and then the disciples are begging Jesus to send her away. But she keeps begging. She doesn't care. Why is that? Because she's desperate. Look at verse 25. Her daughter's not well, her daughter's possessed by a demon. And this is what you see in this text. Listen, guys, there are a couple of people in this world who could, fear, who could care less about what you think about them. Old people who wear socks with, with thong sandals. And, and, listen, mothers with sick babies. They could care less about what you think about them. She doesn't care about anything. She doesn't care about racial and cultural and political differences. None of that matters when your baby is hurting. None of that matters. So she comes and she falls at the feet of Jesus and she begs. She keeps begging for him to help. And then finally, we're at, we get up, we brush up against this awkward conversation about bread and then we see a miracle. So look at verse 27, And we're going to dive into it from here. She's begging in front of Jesus. And in verse 27, it says, He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Y'all, in these short three verses, I wanna show you guys a few amazing things that we actually see in this text. And my prayer is that this comes home to you, that you rejoice in the beautiful gospel as a result of what you hear right here. Here's the first thing I'm gonna give you. Jesus offers himself as the bread of life for the entire world. Jesus offers himself as the bread of life For the entire world. Let me zoom out a bit for you. Check this out. This conversation about bread here is sandwiched between two other events involving bread. So check this out. March 6 Jesus feeds 5,000 Jews with a Lunchable. All he had was five loaves of bread, two fish. What does he do? He breaks the bread, and it multiplies. It feeds everyone, and all these broken um, pieces of bread are left over, 12 baskets to be exact. After this passage in Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 8 happens, and in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is actually among the Gentiles. There's 4,000 of them, and the same thing happens. Jesus takes seven pieces of bread and some fish, he breaks them and he feeds the Gentiles, and there are set and there are seven baskets of food left over. There's more than enough bread for five thousand Jews and for four thousand Gentiles. And get and catch this: at the end of both of these miracles, the disciples are clueless about what the miracle means. Hang with me. We see this all throughout this text. You see, in this text, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples that he's the bread of life, that he's the Messiah, that he'll provide for their deepest needs, and that he will give this life to the entire world, and yet the disciples don't get it. We see it even at the end of uh, Mark chapter 6. In verse 52, it says, after the first miracle, it says, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. We see this in Mark chapter 8 after he feeds the Gentile believers. Jesus pretty much goes off on them. He says, why are you still talking about bread? Do Do you still not see and understand? Do your eyes fail to see? Do you not still understand? The disciples don't get it, but check this out. Sandwiched between those grand miracles, we see another conversation about bread. And guess what? This woman gets it. This woman gets it. She understands that when Jesus is talking about bread, that he's talking about his mission and what he's capable of, and we see it in what she calls Jesus. Look at the text in verse 28. What does she call Jesus? She calls him Lord. She calls him Lord. I I, I love this so much because this is the first time that Jesus is called Lord in the book of Mark by somebody other than himself. And it's about somebody completely outside of Israel. And and I love it because even in Matthew, when Matthew describes this event, this woman actually gives Jesus the messianic title. She says, O Lord, the Son of David. I love it because this outsider, this woman who's cut off from the people of God, she understands even more than the disciples do at this point. She identifies Jesus as the Messiah. She calls him Lord. She recognizes Jesus' authority and acknowledges her need for his help. Her hope and her confidence were in his person. She's staking her whole trust on him that he is in fact the bread of life. She's the outsider who gets it. She understands that he has the resources to meet her deepest needs. And I hope you get that today. Hear me today. I don't care how outside of the family of God that you feel. I don't care how deep your desires are. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. You can't ever find yourself with a hunger so deep that Jesus can't satisfy. You can't. Your bank account will dry up. Love will fade. People will come and go. But Jesus can give you what is eternally satisfying for your longing soul. He's the bread of life. And that's encouraging. But hear me today. There's a problem that the woman has. And there's a problem that we all have. And here's the next point. Jesus is the bread of life but we have no claim to the bread of life on our own. Eric, what are you trying to say here? Look at this awkward conversation. This woman is desperate, and she's falling at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus chooses this opportunity to give this story about bread and to seemingly call her a dog. What in the world does that mean? First, it sounds like an insult. Okay, here's the thing. You got to remember, guys, this ain't Arlington, Virginia. It's not Arlington, Virginia in this setting because we live in a dog-loving city. (laughs) We do. Theirs wasn't. Matter of fact, I'll prove it to you. In my neighborhood, I I live in uh, Fairlington. In my neighborhood, the dogs there are like people. Why is that? Because the dogs wear clothes. (laughs) And when you're walking around the neighborhood, people will greet the dog before they greet the person at the other end of the leash. I mean, I, I look around, I'm like, man, this is crazy town um, over here. What, what, what is going on? Uh, I probably offended some dog lovers in the room. I, I apologize. I hope you can hear the rest of the sermon. Uh, but I'm trying, to make, I'm trying to make you understand, listen, that their relationship with dogs in the ancient Near East was much different than our own. To be called a dog was not good. In those days, most dogs were wild dogs. Gentiles often were called dogs by the Jews because they were unclean. It's not a compliment. It's not nice. But listen to me, Jesus' purpose was not to insult. Let me tell you what his purpose was in sharing that message. The best way to understand what Jesus was doing is, that, is this. He's given a short parable. He's giving a short parable. What is a parable? A parable is often an extended metaphor. It's trying to describe this is like that. He's trying to give a comparison. And what he's describing is something like this. Hang with me here. He knows this woman is a mother. He knows this woman is desperate for something. And Jesus is saying, hey, mother, when, when you feed your children food. Remember, this is an agrarian society. Food was the staple of their diet. He says, man, when you're feeding your children the food that they need to survive, do you let the puppies sit at the table first or do you let the kids eat? This is what he's saying. He's giving her a metaphor. And what does the metaphor ultimately point to? The metaphor points to the mission of Jesus Christ. Hang with me here. Jesus never left Israel before this because he understood something. He understood that his ministry and his mission was initially to Israel, to show Israel that he was the fulfillment of the law, the prophets, the tabernacles, and all the promises of the Old Testament. He came to die for the sins of his people and rise again. And then after his death, he would choose his Jewish disciples to go to the world to share the gospel there. So we see in order to his mission, Jesus says, first I'm coming to the Jews and then I'm coming to the world. We see this in Romans 1:16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for all who believe first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He's trying to describe to her, listen, there's an order. Like I'm not ready to come to you yet. I'm going to the Jews and then the Jews will reach the world. But here's the thing. I love this. Look at her comeback first thing I love about it is that she actually understood the parable not only is she the first person in this gospel to call Jesus Lord he's also the first person to understand a parable the first time that Jesus gives it because look at it she comes back at him I love her combat it's so witty and so powerful she says in verse 28 but she answered him yes Lord but yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Y'all hear what she's saying here? I'll paraphrase it. She's saying, yes, yes, God, the, the children get the bread, but the puppies eat too. You see what she's doing? What she did was so powerful, and this illustrates the gospel. What I love about this is that she didn't argue the parable. She didn't argue it. She didn't say, how dare you, Jesus, call me a dog. I demand a seat at the table. She doesn't do it. No, she actually accepts what Jesus calls her. She knew that she didn't have any claim on Jesus. She's not like us on a job interview. Y'all know y'all go on a job interview and the boss asks us that dumb question every single time. They ask us, why should I give you this job? Right? And what do we do? We start listing off our connections. We start listing off our skills. We start listing off our work history. But when Jesus in the here, when, she, when, when he asked her, why should I give you this bread? She does none of that because she knows she has nothing to offer. She knows what Jesus has said about her in this parable is true. I want to put something on the screen real quick. She understood that she doesn't have the connections. She understood that she's not connected to the people of God. She's, she's outside the community. She understood that she doesn't have the resources. Her, her, her kid is hurting right now, and she, she's powerless to help her kid. She knows that she doesn't have the credentials. She doesn't have a long religious history. She's a pagan. But in this story, this woman shows us, or she reveals to us, Something about how we need to receive Jesus. We can't begin to receive Jesus as our bread of life until we realize that we have no claim on it. We have no claim on Him. Guys, we can't stand before God, we can't stand before God by asserting reasons for us deserving His grace. We have none. Every single one of us were created by God and we were created for his glory. However, listen to me each one of us has turned away from God in sin. We've disobeyed a perfect and good and holy God. And because of what we've done, we are deserving of God's eternal wrath. And I get it, that's bad news, but it's real. We have no claim on the goodness of God. We have no claim. If God asks us, why should I be good to you? Why should I give you salvation? Why should I give you my joy and peace? There's nothing that we can say. There's nothing that we can say. Just like this woman, we don't have connections. Our only connection is to our father, Adam, and we're connected to his sin. We don't have the resources. Since we were born in sin, we don't have the resources to solve our biggest issue that is separation from God. And we don't have the credentials, guys. We don't have the history of holiness, the unbroken history of holiness that we can point to. We don't have any of that. Our claim for the bread of life does not rest on our own merits. But that doesn't mean that we don't have one. Because I want you to see the gospel in this story. Look at what she does again. She says, Jesus, this is what she's trying to say. She said, Jesus, the dogs in that parable eat later, but I don't have until later. My kid is hurting now. I need it now. This is what she's saying. She's saying to Jesus, can I just get the crumbs? (laughs) Y'all get this. In Matthew 6, Jesus breaks bread, feeds the 5,000 Jews, and the text says that there are 12 baskets of broken bread left over. Mark 8, Jesus feeds the Gentiles, 4,000 people. He breaks the bread, and there are seven baskets of broken pieces left over. And all of this alluded, alludes to the abundant grace in Jesus Christ, that he gives more than enough. So do you catch what she's saying here? Smack out between these two miracles, this woman looks at Jesus, and she says, I'm desperate I know I don't deserve to eat, but if you could be so kind, can I just get the leftovers? If you could be so kind, if you could just give me what is left over, I know that you will give what's enough for me. This is what this woman is saying here. And what is she appealing to? She's not appealing to her connections. She's not appealing to her resources. She's not appealing to her credentials. See, she is in a desperate state, and she is throwing herself on the only thing that she is, only thing that she can. She's throwing herself on the goodness and mercy of God. This is what she's throwing herself on. Nothing in her. She's not appealing to herself. She's appealing to the goodness and mercy of God. The only claim in the gospel that we can appeal to is nothing in ourselves. It's the goodness and mercy of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. That's the only claim that we can make. She's singing the same song that we just sang earlier in the service. She's singing, why should I gain from his reward? I can't give an answer. I don't have any credentials. But she says, but this I know with all my heart. Your wounds will pay my ransom. This is what she is saying here. I love this story, y'all. I love this story. Don't you see the gospel here? Y'all, we got nothing for God. Well, we we got nothing that will make ourselves appealing towards God. Nothing to point to in and of ourselves that can merit salvation. You can't make enough. You can't do enough. This is why Jesus came. Jesus knew our God in heaven knew that we were in dire circumstances, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Jesus came, the bread of life. I love John 6. John 6, it says that Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever feeds on this bread I will live forever. Jesus came, and he lived a, a perfect life in full obedience to his Father the life that we didn't live. He died a death on the cross in our place for our sin. He rose again in power, proving himself victorious over sin, Satan, death, and the grave. And that means that if anyone would simply come to him, the bread of life who was broken for us, that you can be saved. That's what I love about this miracle. This woman comes to Jesus and she throws herself on his goodness. And guess what? Jesus comes through. And this message is for the world. We actually see in Psalm 87:4 that this text is a fulfillment of that. Look at this verse. In this Psalm, it says, Among those who know me, namely God, among those who know me, he says, I mention Rahab and Babylon, behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. I love what this text is declaring. It's declaring from the beginning of the world, God has always had in mind to save the world. That, getting, that the, from the beginning of the world, God has always been in the process of gathering people from every, uh, every, uh, every corner of the globe. People from Egypt and Babylon and Tyre and Cush all over, and since the beginning of time, God has been building a diverse kingdom from every tribe, nation, and tongue, including this woman. And so here's my charge for you this is a short application. If God is building a diverse kingdom, let's resist homogenous lives. If God is building a diverse kingdom, let's resist living homogenous lives lives. In our church body, let's share the gospel with the people around us, including those who don't look like us. And let's live this gospel as well. Let's live it out. Among people who don't look like us, we should not be the kind of community that all the people that we're in close community with are people that share all the same qualities and all the same things about ourselves. This is what the gospel produces. This is what we want to be. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be the kind of church community when somebody can peer to the church community and guess just from what they see while we're all united this morning. I don't want to be the kind of community that's that's simply a community, a church community of young adults or a community of older adults or a community of families. I don't want to simply be a black church or a white church. I don't want to be an affluent community or a strengthened community. You know what we want to be? We want to be a community that has one thing in common, that we all came to Jesus desperate and starving and nothing to offer him. He gave us a feast simply because he's good like that. This is what we want to be. And y'all listen to me. We did nothing to earn this bread. I'm going to take you back to my opener. I'm going to go back to the little red hen. Y'all, we are like the duck, the goose, and the cat and the pig. Can't you tell I read this story all the time? <laughs> Here's the thing we're like them. We didn't do a thing to earn this bread. We didn't offer a thing. But hear me today. I am so glad that Jesus is not like that children's story. Because the little red hen said, I did all the work. You don't get to eat. And in this story, Jesus says, I did all the work. The feast is ready. Come down with me. Praise Jesus. What a good and merciful Savior that we serve. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much of how the gospel message is is displayed in this short story. We thank you for the faith of this Syrophoenician woman and how it displays and models the kind of faith that we need to have. We need a desperate faith. We need a faith that knows that we have absolutely nothing to offer you, and yet we are needy of you. So Father, teach us what it means to have faith. Help us to be a people who throw ourselves on your abundant goodness and mercy, knowing that the leftovers are enough. We know that when we throw ourselves upon your goodness and mercy for our salvation, that you by no means will ever cast us out. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your abundant grace and mercy. We thank you that we live in a kingdom where there is no no scarcity, no scarcity. There's only abundance. There's only the abundance of grace and mercy. It is true that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, those of us who are in you. So I pray for those under the sign of my voice who have yet to trust in your goodness and mercy have yet to throw themselves simply upon you. I know there are people under the sign of my voice that are trusting in their good works to somehow outweigh the bad in the end. I know there are people under the sign of my voice that are trusting some quality about them to justify themselves in the eyes of other people. But Father, I pray that you'll bring us to the place where we agree with you that we have absolutely nothing to offer you so that we will take a hold of your offer of free grace. We need you. We thank you for salvation. We love you. What a good and merciful God that you are. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.